Hello and welcome to the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. So let's always do our best to be everyday Christians, not just Christians on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays. This is a podcast at the Scattered Abroad Network of Podcasts. Go check out all the various podcasts that we have, such as the Transformed Podcast on Tuesdays, the Far Better Podcast on Wednesdays, the Weather and the Storm podcast on Thursdays, and you can keep going uh, down the list. Every day of the week, we've got various podcasts uh, for you to listen to. Scatteredabroad.org. You can also search Scattered Abroad Network or Scattered Abroad Network Master Feed in your app store that you listen to podcasts on, and uh, we will be glad for you to check out all the podcasts that we have to offer. We are going through First Peter chapter 2 again this week. We are looking at part 2 verses 13 through 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2. In light of what we talked about last week, that is Christian growth and the fact that we as Christians are living stones in the framework that makes up the church, the house of God, the the building of God, if you will, uh, the fact that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. In light of all of this, now we're going to notice the need to submit to every ordinance of man, not to use our liberty in Christ as an excuse or a license to sin. And if we are suffering as Christians, we need to realize that Christ suffered too. And he was the example of how to deal with said suffering. Peter wraps up this chapter in the last few verses, quoting from Isaiah chapter 53. Oftentimes, that chapter is referred to as the suffering servant, of course, looking forward to what Christ would do for us when he suffered. And uh, so Peter's going to make some applications from what Christ suffered and make those applications for us as we, as Christians, suffer as well. Verses 13 through 18, godly submission in every facet of the Christian life. Look at verse number 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, uh, and he goes on. Uh, But first of all, we want to notice the therefore. So what's it therefore? In light of the fact that Christians are to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, uh, going back to verse 11, we are to have a conduct that is blameless so that the Gentiles, the pagans, they're not able to point the finger at us or have a reason to denigrate Christianity uh, in any way. And if they denigrate Christianity, well, then they're going to denigrate Christ as well. Think about all the pagans, for instance, in Acts chapter 19, uh, that Paul was having to deal with. You remember what Paul dealt with in Acts chapter 19? The violent upheaval and uh, just the raucous crowd that he had to deal with when the idolatrous uh, silversmiths and worshipers of Diana uh, just just went crazy in Acts chapter 19. Uh, they were very upset. Why were they upset? Well, Christianity was having a tremendous impact on their bottom line. Uh, people were being converted out of Diana worship. And if there's no Diana worship, well, then there's no buying the silver idols and the silversmiths. What happens to them? Well, they go out of business, don't they? And so they were very upset. The pagans had a lot of motivation then to try to denigrate Christians. Peter says that you need to live your lives right so that you don't give the pagans 
further fuel for trying to denigrate Christians and ultimately denigrating Christ. Therefore, in light of this fact, we are to be a people who submit. The word translated as submit comes from a Greek word that means to subordinate, to obey, be under obedience, be subject to, be put in subjection to, submit self unto. Peter says that we are to submit to every ordinance of man, and then he adds, for the Lord's sake. Just as Jesus Christ, while he was on earth, submitted to the Father's will in heaven, Christians are expected to be willing to submit to others. That's not very easy to do, though, is it? Notice the second half of verse 13. We are to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, going into verse 14, uh, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So this is one of several passages in Scripture that makes it clear that we are to respect our government officials and we are to submit to their will, unless, of course, uh, the things that they are demanding are contrary to God's will. In that case, we ought to obey God rather than men. But generally speaking, we are to respect and obey the governing officials. Romans 13 verse 1 talks about how the powers that be, they're ordained of God. Uh, We are to be subject unto the higher powers. Daniel 4, verse 17, the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. So God uses the kingdoms of men to accomplish his will. Therefore, when leaders are elected, or sometimes they're not even elected, they're, you know, not all, not all um, governments are republics or democracies or, or what have you. Some Governments are monarchies, and so leaders are born literally into the lineage of of uh, kingship and queenship. Some governments are dictators where uh, someone just seizes power violently and becomes a dictator. Uh, even in situations like that, we are to respect the government. We are to uh, submit to the higher powers, whether kings as supreme or governors, etc., Obviously, that's not easy to do, especially for those of us in the United States and similar places where we have been afforded so many liberties, so many freedoms. Uh, Sometimes we see those freedoms, shall we say, taken away to an extent, and that's not easy to stand by and watch at all. It's very difficult, Uh, but we still have the responsibility to submit to government. Um, Who was... was, uh, the leader of Rome when Peter wrote these words? Uh, I think it was Nero or somebody like that, one of the uh, famous Roman emperors that was terrible and was doing horrible things to Christians. So uh, clearly the point can be made. uh, If Peter can submit to somebody like that, then certainly we should submit to our government leaders. He also talks about those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. What is the point of government? If we didn't have government, what would be the case? There'd be absolute anarchy. There'd be absolute chaos. And so uh, governments are designed by God to punish evildoers and to reward those who do good. Verse number 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, by doing good, 
we can put to silence those who are ignorant and foolish in their denigrating God. What does the Bible say? The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Well, uh, when we do good and, and our good works shine to the glory of God, then people will see, um, I, I wanted to say God in action, but I guess God working alongside us, we might could say, uh, we're working for God. That's probably the best way to put it. People see us working for God, then God receives the glory and they are appointed to God. Well, we have to do those good things and then we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Verse number 16, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. So certainly this is very crucial for us to understand as Christians, we are free. But that said, even with the liberty, the grace that we have, we cannot use liberty or freedom or grace as a license to sin. Peter says, don't use it as a cloak for vice. That's the same idea. This falls right in line with Romans 6, verses 1 and following. We've mentioned that a couple times uh, over the course of this study. But what are we to be? We are to be the bondservants of God. That is taught in Romans chapter 6 as well. If you look at the rest of the chapter, it talks about being the servants or the slaves of Christ, of righteousness, the servants and slaves of righteousness. In view of God's grace, we are to be faithful servants of God. And the Greek indicates actually it's like we're the slaves of God. We belong to him. Well, let's go to verse number 17. Honor all people. Honor is the same word we find in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Prizing, valuing, revering, honoring. Did you know that we are the heirs of the grace of life, uh, those of us who are married? And marriage is such a wonderful thing. It truly is the grace of life. But if you look at 1 Peter 3, verse 7, you just jump over to the next chapter. It says, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands are to honor their wives. They are to prize them, to value them, to revere and, and honor them in such a way that uh, they just mean so much to the husband. And the husband means so much to the wife. That's the relationship that a married couple is supposed to have. Well, we are also supposed to honor all people. We are supposed to prize people. We are supposed to value people, revere the idea of humanity. Well, if we truly have that, then what's that going to do to things like uh, violence and, and destruction and, and persecutions and, and terrible things that have happened throughout history? Well, if everybody had that Christian mindset, we know that they don't. But if everybody did, well, then those kinds of things would go away, wouldn't they? Because people would have respect and honor for the sanctity of human life. Uh, abortion. Abortion would go away uh, if people uh, honored all people, all human life. Well, he continues, he says, love the brotherhood. Obviously, this is a reference to the church. We are to have a love and a preference towards one another as the family of God. I think of 
Romans 12, verse 10, it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And then it says, in honor, giving preference to one another. Christians, everyday Christians, your relationship with Christians, with your spiritual brothers and sisters, ought to be such, ought to be so strong that it's the strongest of relationships in your life, even stronger than the relationships that you have with your blood relatives, the relationship that you have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the the relationship that we have with one another. Many of you listening to this have never met me, but we have a relationship. If, If we're both Christians, we have a relationship, a family relationship, and we are to honor that. We are to love the brotherhood. We are to be kindly affectionate to one another. We are to give preference to one another. Well, he also says, fear God. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Verse 14, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Finally, in this verse, he says, honor the king. We've already discussed the idea of honoring and valuing and revering. It says again, it's like it's as if Peter's saying, look, I've already mentioned the king. Now I need to mention him again because I know it's so hard to honor. It's so hard to respect. It's so hard to obey a king such as Nero or somebody like him. But you got to do it. And so we have to do that, Christians. We have to honor whoever is ruling over us in the kingdoms of men. Well, we continue and we look at uh, verse 18. And it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. That is tough. (laughs) You read that again. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good ones, but also to the harsh masters. Well, that's what Peter says here is is the proper Christian response exactly to being in that kind of situation. He's talking about, in this particular context, he's really talking about slavery. And, uh, oh, what a a terrible, terrible circumstance. What a terrible part of human history. And uh, thankfully, it has been outlawed in so many places today. But... The sad reality is that there are still places on earth, even today, where slavery exists. And Peter is saying that if you happen to find yourself in such a situation as this, even uh, in the most difficult of circumstances in all of human history, uh, being a slave, if you find yourself in that situation, Peter says, go ahead and submit to your master's will even though that is obviously terribly unpleasant, terribly difficult. But he says, do it for the Lord's sake here in verse 13. um, If you go back up to verse 13, we are to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Well, that includes even in such a terrible, terrible circumstance like slavery. We are to submit so that the Lord ultimately will be glorified even in those difficult circumstances. When he says in this last part, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, I can't help but only imagine how difficult some circumstances uh, have been in history in regard to slavery. 
and even continue today in a few places. I can't imagine how difficult it must be and how harsh certain taskmasters can be. I'm reminded of when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. When you go back and you look at uh, Exodus, of course, Pharaoh, uh, another Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph, and he put the Israelites in slavery, and they cried out, and, and it was just a horrible situation. And, of course, God delivered them from that. But that said, even in such situations such as that, if the Israelites were really going to honor God, then they were going to submit even under such difficult circumstances as that. This is this is really a, a hard, hard, hard teaching uh, that Peter's bringing out here. But that said, I'm so thankful that the vast majority of humanity today, we don't have to face those kinds of terrible, difficult circumstances. But you know what? Um, if even people in those circumstances, Peter says you need to submit for the Lord's sake, if they have to submit in something as difficult as that, then how much more so should we submit when our boss tells us, you know, you need to do this, and and we're like, well, I don't agree with what my boss is telling me to do here. Uh, I think it's a bad plan or whatever. Um, well, we have to submit to our boss, and go. It just goes to show you that if there's submission taking place in the most difficult of circumstances, uh, as Christians in circumstances like slavery, well then, can we honestly say, oh yeah, I don't have to submit to a boss or submit to my parents or if you're in if you're in their household or uh, submit to the government, etc. Well, no, we, we have to submit as Christians. Let's move on. And uh, verses 19 through 21, it talks about suffering as a Christian. And Jesus is our example. Of suffering. You look at verse 19, it says, For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. And we could go back to what we just talked about. Certainly, so many have suffered wrongfully, totally wrongfully, at the hands of that wicked institution. But if you suffer, even suffering wrongfully, if it's because of conscience towards God that you're enduring the grief and suffering and you're doing the right thing, even in the midst of bad circumstance, again, God will be glorified by that and others will see God uh, through us. And, and we, can, we can spread the kingdom uh, through this. Verse number 20. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Could we be beaten for our faults? Well, certainly, uh, as a form of punishment. In fact, in some places like uh, Singapore, for instance, it is still on the books that you can be beaten with rods for certain offenses. And I mean strict in places like Singapore, I mean, you you, you throw down a bubblegum wrapper on the street and you can get beaten with rods, is, is what I'm told. Uh, that's being um, punished for your faults, being beaten for your faults. But that's to be expected. We understand 
uh, being punished for our faults. But what about when we do good and we're still punished? Peter says if we take the punishment that we did not deserve, but we take it patiently, then it's commendable before God. That is, it's to our credit and ultimately it's to God's credit because God is the one who we're submitting to ultimately when we submit to such difficult circumstances in our lives. Verse 21, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Just as Christ suffered when he didn't deserve it, sometimes we as Christians are going to have to go through the same sorts of things. We are to follow in his steps. We sometimes sing trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, trying to follow our Savior and King. We often sing this, but how often do we think about it from the perspective of persecution? Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, sometimes following Christ, there are tremendous physical consequences the world inflicts upon us because the world hates us. The world hated Christ. And if the world hates Christ, well, it should not surprise us at all if the world hates us. But we ought to be willing to pick up that cross. In fact, we should pick up our cross daily and follow after Christ. Jesus Christ suffered, and because Jesus Christ suffered, it it should not surprise us at all when uh, we suffer as well. Finally, the last section, 22 through 25, Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 53. This is evidence of Christ's suffering for us. In verse 22, he's quoting from Isaiah 53 and verse 9. It says, uh, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus didn't deserve what he went through on the cross and everything else he went through as well. He, he did not deserve it. He did nothing wrong. He was, tempted, he was tempted in all points like we are, but without sin, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. Jesus hung on the cross. He uttered these words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever thought about the magnitude of that question on the cross? I don't know exactly why Jesus uttered those words, and I don't know exactly what he meant by you have forsaken me. Sometimes I think that maybe it was the idea of of God looking away. He, he can't look, he can't bear to look upon what is happening to his son on the cross. He's being punished for things that he didn't do, taking the penalty that we deserved. I don't know, but whatever the case may be, he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Peter says here that Jesus committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, Peter says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. This is quoting from Isaiah 53, verse 7. And we need to think about this the next time that somebody reviles us, the next time that somebody makes fun of us or 
makes us angry because of the way that they mistreat us. Are, are we going to retaliate? Jesus didn't. Jesus did not retaliate. Uh, when he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He committed himself to God who judges righteously, and certainly we must do the same. Jesus committed himself to the Father's will, and we have to commit ourselves to the Father's will. It's easy, or easier anyways, to commit to the Father's will when things are easy, but what about when things are hard? What about when things are when we're going through trials, what about when people are reviling us, making fun of us, uh, refusing to be our friends, causing problems at work and school for us because we're Christians? Will we still accept the Father's will? Something to think about for sure. Verse 24, who himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. This is uh, referencing Isaiah 53, verse 4, and verse 11 as well. And Jesus, who had no sins of his own, took the punishment we deserved on the cross. He bore the punishment in his own body on the cross so that we could have hope to live in him upon putting our sinful self to death and then living in Christ in obedience to his gospel. We're talking about Romans 6, verses 1 and following. We're talking about Colossians 2, verses 12 through 14, putting on Christ in baptism, being buried with him in the water grave of baptism so that we walk, we rise up and walk in newness of life. We are to come into contact with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by his stripes, we are healed. Finally, verse 25. You are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the capital S shepherd and capital O overseer of your souls. This is quoting from Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6. Every single person who has ever lived whose name was not Jesus Christ, whose name was not Emmanuel, God with us, every single person except for Christ, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. The wages of sin, death. Romans six twenty-three. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We were like sheep going astray. But now through the gospel, through Jesus, through what he did for us, through his blood, through our faith in him and our being baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, that go hand in hand through all of this. Ultimately, through him, we're now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 teaches that sin separates us from God. It is through Jesus Christ that we can be reconciled back to the Father. That's our study of First Peter chapter 2. Lord willing, join us next week as we get into First Peter chapter 3 on the Everyday Christian Podcast. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network. 
and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, and please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.